Morning church, I'm really looking forward to preaching today. I've gone for a bit of a different setup because apparently I'm too tall to stand up um, for the wall behind me, so I'm trying sitting down. I was going to go for the Pastor Barry approach on the side, but it just felt a bit uncomfortable. And I'm aware, like, this is my normal teacher default to kind of sit behind the desk, but I'm also aware I look a little bit like a newsreader, so please bear with me. And also just a short look behind the curtain, because this preach... It's been quite of an awkward one for me to write. I've just got all of my notes here in front of me rather than the normal condensed form that I normally have. So I hope you bear with me as we go through. I am really looking forward to doing this preach today. It's really, really warm outside. The weather is really, really good. And I'm hoping that the weather is lasting um, throughout the summer. And there's just a lot of good vibes around. We just had the bank holiday weekend. It was amazing. And what actually um, struck me, I was watching TV yesterday. And during one of the ad breaks, there was a Google advert, and it mentioned, and one of the first Google searches that came up is, oh, what is reopening anxiety? And I thought that was a really um, poignant um, search that they decided to put up on the screen, especially considering what I wanted to preach about. Because in discussing the fact that we're going to return to church soon and having conversations with people, yeah, there's loads of people really, really excited, and we can't wait to get back in the building. It's going to be amazing. But I'm just sensing a lot of apprehension amongst people within church. And just thinking about um, church's mental health as we return, it's been on my mind quite a lot. And I really wanted to make sure that I got this preach correct in how I approached it because it's a subject that's really, really important to me. And especially because of my history of mental health, I wanted to make sure that um, as I'm going through this, I'm able to land the topic um, quite well. Because ultimately, anyone who knows me is that I'm a little bit of an overthinker. Becca would say that that's a bit of an understatement. I'm an overthinker to the point that I remember once Becca turned around and said to me, you know what, the fact that you believe in Jesus is actually a miracle. It's amazing. You think, every, you think over everything. So the fact that you're actually able to think and get to a point where you believe in Jesus is brilliant. And you know what, she's right. She's got now got that on camera saying that, of me saying that she's right, but she is right. My faith is an amazing gift and I'm so thankful for it. But it's been a gift that I've wrestled with over the years. And not only has it been a gift that I've wrestled with, but the fact that I'm wrestling, wrestle with it makes me feel really, really guilty. And then that makes me feel really, really worse. And I know that some of you can relate. I've had conversations with people in church where, you know, you want to make sure that you're having a faith journey, but because um, you have ups and downs with it, sometimes because you have ups and downs, that makes you feel worse. And then that impacts your faith even more. And it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to kind of broach this topic about mental health, because I'm, I've, um, preached about it before when we were at Norfolk House, but I wanted to attack it again just as we're coming back to a point where we're returning to church. Because whether we want to admit it or not, that there will be a gap between um, people within church and people who are ready to come back and be like, whoa, yeah, I'm so excited about coming back. And people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I just don't know if I'm here. And they're, they're present without really, really being present. And it's really, really important as a church that we understand um, that gap and what we're going to do to attack it. Because it's going to be really, really, us addressing that gap within our church and within the kingdom of God is going to be critical to how we deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst our town. The important thing to remember in all of this is, you know, we're not doctors, we're not professionals, but what we are is the body of Christ. And that's incredible. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24 to 26 says that, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And what I really love is that, that bit where they said that there should be no division within, this, within the body and that we all have equal concern for each other. We need to be really, really mindful of the fact that when we come back within the building, that everyone that is within the church is going to be in different places. But we, as the body of, the, of Christ, of the living Christ, have the ability to bring healing in that situation. The body of Christ is enough. The body of Christ is more than enough to be able to bring healing to his people. But if we're going to do that, we need to understand the nature of the battle that we're fighting. And for me, especially in terms of um, the background of my degree and, and what I do as a job, I think it's really, really important if we're going to say that we're going to attack this and we're going to attack it head on, we need to understand the nature of the beast. And it's important to recognize if someone was, is within our church, not necessarily in the correct place, how we are going to help and support them. And when we think about mental health and how it affects us physically, not just spiritually, but how it affects us physically, especially something like depression. Depression um, affects two main parts of our brain. One's the frontal lobe, and in the frontal lobe, we have something called the prefrontal cortex. Now, the prefrontal cortex is what affects our mood and how we process mood. And what happens is that neurotransmitters um, are transmitted across synapses within the brain, and that helps us process what's going on. And what antidepressants do is enhance the transmission of those new neurotransmitters. The second part of the brain that um, depression affects is something called the hippocampus. Now, the hippocampus is something that is near the center of the brain. Um, what that does is helps us process memories, um, which makes sense because, you know, sometimes when you get into a low mood, it's kind of difficult to remember the good times. And if you've ever spoken to someone with depression, you can kind of think, yeah, but what about this point or this point or this point? And the reason why they'll find it difficult to process what's going on there is because the hippocampus is smaller and finding it difficult to process their memory, memories. And the hippocampus also affects how we deal with stress. And for me, both of these things are entirely relatable. Um, it's not necessarily something I'm proud of. It's something, again, that I've not necessarily, I mentioned in passing, but not necessarily talked about the depths of um, within church or from the front. And uh, yeah, when I was 22, I had a really serious bout of depression. And even now the thought of me recording and talking about it is a bit difficult um, to comprehend. But it was one of those things where I just thought, I'm just going through the motions and I'm trying to get to a point where I feel better, but I couldn't get there. You see, depression often happens um, due to a traumatic event or persistent low mood. And I thought, you know what, if I just keep going through the motions, eventually I'll snap out of it. And I was just doing so much. So my typical week was like, I might have a Monday off unless we had a church um, workers meeting. Then Tuesday I was tutoring. Wednesday I had Connect. Uh, Thursday I had band practice. Friday I was the youth pastor at the time. So Friday I, had, I ran youth on the White City Estate. Then on Saturday I would see Becca. Then Sunday I'd had church, which is a busy day, and I just kept going through that same pattern again and again and again, just hoping that some, at some point I would snap out of it. But I was just keeping busy. I wasn't actually attacking the root of what was making me unhappy. And I just wasn't really, really sure what to do. And it got to the point where I was at the end of my teacher training, and um, I had my last observation, and my university tutor watched my last lesson, and he said to me, what happened? 
And I said, what do you mean? It's like, I remember the person you were when you started this course. And the person who just taught that lesson is not the same person. What happened? And the reality is I just kind of let the voices of negativity and the voices of telling me that I wasn't good enough or that I didn't deserve to live on what was the point in living. I, even though I was busy, I let those voices get louder than the call of God in my life. And I hadn't even realized. I just kind of kept going. And I didn't really give myself enough time to realize. And so it got to a point where I sat in front of my tutor and I cried. And he said, you know what? We've got six weeks left. Come back to uni. We'll get you past and then we'll assess what we do from there. But I couldn't do it. I was just so overwhelmed with my mood and I just felt like every day was dark. I couldn't get out of bed. I just felt so heavy. And eventually I got kicked out of uni. Not many people know this, but I actually got kicked out of, my, uh, kicked out of uni when I um, did my teacher training. And I didn't know what to do. Um, and I, got, I went to see my uni tutor again when I got kicked out. And he said, I explained what was going on in my head. And he said, you really need to see someone. I was like, well, I didn't really know what that was going to do. So, but I thought, you know what, I'm here. I might as well just, you know, go to the doctor and see. And they asked me these loads of, loads of questions. I had to fill in so many forms and do a load of tests. And they asked me about my mood, about my diet, my appetite, and just whether I had suicidal thoughts. And I just kind of was like, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to write whatever. And I sat in front of the doctor and he said, I, I believe that you have depression. And hearing it, kind of just hearing it out, like that was really, really difficult. And even now, we're nearly 10 years later, I can talk about it, but it still feels weird to say. Like, depression? How can, I, how can I have depression? I go to church every Sunday, I sing in band, at that point, I was worship leading. I was like, yeah, I was doing the most from the front. Everyone knew me as the jumpy, the jumpy guy in worship team. And also, I'm Nigerian. We just, like, mental health is not really our thing. Like, you know, like, British people like to talk about stiff upper, upper lip. I don't know what the Nigerian counterpart is, but goodness me, we, we really got, we just don't talk about it. We just power through. And if someone's suffering with mental health, you just don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. So for me, as a Christian and uh, a British person, but also identifying as a Nigerian, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to tell people or how to process it. And so, and also, like, how are people going to take it when I tell people, like, I have depression? I remember I told someone, um, because what had happened was, um, when I got my diagnosis, um, my uni turned around and went, oh, we didn't um, realize that you had depression. What we can do is give you another opportunity to complete your teacher training. So, they, um, And I remember telling someone about that. Um, and they were like, look, it's nice that you know they're going to give you another opportunity, but I don't actually believe that you should use mental health or depression as a reason to try and sneak your way back into uni. I wouldn't put that label on you. And I was like, okay, fairs. 
and that hurt in itself. But, you know, we move and like I just had to keep going and one person I did end up talking to was John Kidd. I don't actually know if he remembers um, this, but I spoke to John Kidd quite a bit um, in my early 20s. And um, he sat down with me and helped me process a few things. And he actually wrote me a letter. Um, so he, he wrote a letter to the university to, to explain the type of person I normally am and how depression had affected me to this point. And, he, and part of um, his letter helped build the evidence to allow me to get reinstated back at uni to allow me to finish my course. And what I ended up having to do was go and seek help. I had to start therapy, which was difficult. I got offered antidepressants initially. And at the time, because I was still like kind of stumbling with the actual diagnosis in the first place, I didn't really want to start um, antidepressants, but because I'd talked about wanting to kill myself and talked about suicidal thoughts. The doctor was like, look, you need to do something. So he, they offered group therapy. I was like, I'm not necessarily going to trek all the way to Clacton and do group therapy with a load of other people who are also depressed. I didn't really necessarily see the merit in that. But a lot of the local um, places that were providing therapy at that time weren't quite local. So I had to um, do therapy sessions on the phone which I felt a bit better about because I didn't necessarily have to like stand in front of someone or sit, sorry, sit in front of someone and kind of tell them and look them in the eye and kind of tell them what was going on. I could just kind of tell them on the phone and I had to have a rigid schedule of me meeting up with my therapist on the phone every week. And I remember like, <laughs> I can laugh about it now. Um, I remember one week I just missed the phone call. I think I decided to take a shower at an awkward time. So I missed the phone call and I got out of the shower and I had like 10 missed calls because the week before I'd mentioned that I'd, I, ha I had a bad week and I kind of mentioned that the thoughts of like suicide and, and low mood were starting to come back. So for the therapist to call back and then I, I'm not answering, I think the therapist just panicked a little bit. I was like, oh no, I'm sorry, I just had a shower. So I had a, quite a rigid schedule I had to stick to in terms of therapy. But I got there eventually, but it was tough. At the time I was dating Becca, I almost lost my relationship. Becca and I almost broke up. Um, I almost lost my career, ultimately. And I almost lost my faith. It was really, really difficult. I kept going to church and kind of going through the motions. But it was hard. Praying to get out of a situation and I couldn't see the wood for the trees. Just continuously praying and going, what am I doing? Because I kept trying to bank on some magnificent change in my circumstance or my environment that was going to kind of snap me out of this mood. And I remember there was one point that um, I, wasn't, I hadn't started teaching yet, but I finally got my teaching qualification six months later. And I was just now trying to get a job um, within a school. And I hadn't really told anyone that I was still applying because I was just kind of working um, in a call center at the time. And I remember it got to an evening service at church and that week I'd applied for a job in Colchester and I was really, really hopeful for it. And um, I got called out to the front. No, I didn't get called out, so I was already at the front because I was on the worship team. And um, someone prayed for me. And they're like, yeah, I really feel the Lord saying, like, your job that you're really hoping for is coming soon. And this is in front of everyone. And I was like, yes, let's go. 
I just applied for a job this week. I was like, yep, that's a confirmation. The Lord said, my job is coming soon. This has to be the job. And I literally left church so like buoyant and happy. And um, I got home and I checked my emails. And then there was a rejection email sitting from the school saying I wasn't successful. And I just remember weeping. I remember saying to God, like, man, you didn't have to do me like that. I was happy in my place of low mood. Like, Lord, why did you let me get up here to bring me back down again? I remember another time that um, Mark Collard, Mark Collard, um, who is Pastor Mark Collard, who is the um, executive pastor for Equippers UK. And when Pastor Mark came, he um, did this amazing preach. And Pastor Mark Collard is special to me because he is the only preacher in the history of my life to ever make me cry. Like, it's just a joke running amongst my, my family and leaders within church that I just don't cry. Pastor Mark is the only preacher ever to make me cry. He's amazing. Um, and I'm not even sure he remembers this either, but I just remember speaking to him afterwards and it was like a really evocative preach. It was so cathartic. And I, I remember leaving. And from the moment I said bye to everyone at first sight, I cried. I walked past my house. I went to a friend's house. I cried at their house. I was like, I'm just such a mess. And that's how dark it was for me. I kept coming to church because, you know, I felt like that was the right thing to do, you know, like you've got to go to church. And also, I was scared that if I didn't go to church, I'd invite, invite more attention. Contrary to popular belief, Io doesn't like attention. I, I just don't. Like we're joking about, you know, us filming here today. I'm saying, you know, we could record without the cameras. We could just deliver it as a podcast. I don't actually like attention. And I knew if I stopped coming to church, that would draw more attention to me. I couldn't tell everyone that I was going through therapy, but I just had to keep going. And you know what? I, I want to apologize to um, the people who are coming to church with me at that time for me just being fake. I turned up to church every Sunday and I was just fake. And it was easy. I could be on stage, play my guitar, run up and down, go, yeah, sing a song, I was like, man, that guy is really into the worship. He loves it. But it was like a distraction for a short little while. And I wasn't really telling people what was going on. I had this internal battle continually, continually. And it was so painful. But I also want to, as much as I'm saying sorry, I also want to say thank you, church, for your consistency. And kept me going. And as much as I felt like I was up and down, your consistency church kept me going. And ultimately, I knew that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that if nothing else worked, I at least had that. I at least knew that God is always going to be the same. Also, I didn't really know how to tell people. Like, because everyone, I love our church. Everyone is so positive. So positive. I remember Pastor Ingrid would give me a hug. If I dared, and she'd ask, how am I? And I, if I dared to say, I'm fine, she'd raise an eyebrow and go, fine is not a very good uh, way of saying things. And I thought, that's fair. And so I just learned to say, I'm good. I still do it now. I'm like, I'm good. And good, saying that I was good helped me deflect because Pastor Ingrid had the wisdom to kind of 
cut through of me saying fine. And I was like, ah, I don't want more attention. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And even in terms of like Pastor Barry, he's amazing. So positive. I remember the first time I came to Kesed back then, I remember my first time I walked in. This guy ran from across the room. I was like, way! Gave me a hug. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. He thinks I'm just another black person that he knows. Oh, this is, oh, I don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And I kind of just like lent into the hug and I was like, Ugh! but that wasn't him mistaking me for someone else. He was just like, it's a new person at church. I want to greet them. I was like, oh wow, this is amazing. Church is so positive. And I didn't know how my depression was going to cope in that environment. So I, d I didn't want to dampen Pastor Barry. I didn't think that was fair. So I kind of kept it and held it onto myself. Pastor Barry still tells me off about this now that sometimes I just carry things too much and I don't always tell him what's going on with me. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work on it and Pastor Barry again will probably beat me over the head for, um, for this. But um, I shouldn't really say that in, in church, you know, we don't beat people around the head, but metaphorically. Pastor Barry will still um, keep me in check to say, look, you need to learn to open up. So, you know, I just kept going to therapy and... I continued praying, but I wasn't necessarily praying out loud. I remember I had this uh, folder on my, um, on my laptop that said, Dear God. And every time things got overwhelming, I'll just type out my prayer. And it was less a prayer, more like a rant. God, X, Y, Z is going wrong. I don't know what to do. I kind of know that I need to talk, about talk to you. So I'm just going to, you know, put it out there. I don't have to speak out. God, you can read. That's fine. Go for it. And kind of just left it there for God to deal with. And that for me helped. That connection to God helped because it gave me something. Of, as much as it was me being angry, as well as being upset, it gave me a connection to God. And that's what helped. The combination of me continuously going to therapy and still maintaining my connection to God, that's what helped. There's an old adage like, you know, if you had a broken leg or if you had a headache, You'd go to the doctor and take medicine. So why wouldn't you necessarily do the same for your mental health? And for me, that's what kept me going to my therapy. I treated it just the same as a physical injury. And also, me having church and a therapist kind of helped keep me in check consistently. The Bible says that there's, um, there's safety in a multitude of counsel. And, um, but this is just my story eventually i got there and there's not like there wasn't like a snap moment it's like when you have a headache and you know you take a paracetamol and ibuprofen there's not a moment you go wow my headache is gone amazing there's not a snap moment it's just there's a dull ache in the background until eventually you get to a point like, oh the paracetamol must have kicked in i can't feel it anymore and that's kind of the place that i got to and there'll be loads of people in your life, in and out of church, that will have stories worse than mine. Or going through depressions, who might have issues that you perceive to be less than mine. And you might even ask yourself, you know what, if they're going through this, just come to church. Why don't you come to church and sort it out? But the problem with depression and mental health is that it doesn't, depression and mental health does not rid us of the desire for connection. That desire for connection is God-given. 
Our desire for relationship is given by God, and God desires relationship with us. So it can't go anywhere. Depression doesn't get rid of that desire for connection. What depression does is robs you of the ability to form that connection. So to say, you know, why don't you just come to church and say, sort it out, it's a bit difficult. So what do we do as a church? What do we do as a church? So I've got a couple of do's and don'ts. And um, yeah, we'll go through them now. So a couple of don'ts. Like I said, don't say, just get over it. Uh, thank you so much. Just get over it. I wish I thought about that from day one. That would have been great. Thank you. Wow, my depression's now lifted. <laughs> wow. No. I already thought of that. Just get over it. I, sorry, that was one of the first, first things I thought of. In fact, the ability to not just get over it is literally what depression is. So, might be a little bit difficult. Number two, don't try and fix it. This battle belongs to the Lord. It's not your job to fix it. It's your job to be the body of Christ, to be present. If you try and fix it, this can often lead to feelings of inadequacy to the person that you're trying to help or guilt to the person that you're trying to help. It's a complex battle that needs to be solved medically and spiritually. So leave it to the medical and spiritual professionals. Number three, do not take a negative response personally. If someone comes up back at you and gives you a little bit of negativity, don't take it personally. The issue is probably greater than you and you just happen to be there at that moment. Shout out to the host team, goodness me. I know every hosting member probably has some form of like a negative story when you've gone, hi, welcome to church. And someone looks at you like, mm -mm, not today. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And yet hosting come week after week with that persistence and that continual love of God wearing their heart and their sleeve. Regardless of mood or BO, they are coming to hug anyone at church and I love them. Oh, the host team are amazing. But also, not just the host team, but everyone in church, please do not take a negative response personally. And lastly, to remember this, one can be sad and be okay. Now that one for me was quite difficult for me to understand and to get over, because I kind of felt like I have to be positive all of the time and be like, hey, 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 hey. But there are times when I'm sad and I'm fine, one can be sad and just be okay. Don't overreact. In fact, if you panic in the moment of someone being sad, probably going to make it worse. Be present. Just be present. Even if it can be awkward, if you're being present when that person is sad, that's enough. The things that you can do is use your natural voice. And what I mean by that is, if you have a friend who's going through mental health struggles or depression, please do not be like, Hi. Mm. Are you all right? <sighs> if, you, if you talk like this, talk like this. Be normal. What, you being familiar will help the hippocampus when it's processing memory. You being strange will cause an overthinker like me to say, what is going on? What have I done wrong? Is my face wrong? What, why the... Mm. 
Number two, it's not actually rude to be upbeat. You can be yourself and be upbeat and be present. Can you imagine telling Pastor Barry to not be upbeat? That'd be a bit weird. Imagine coming to church, Barry's like, hello, Equippers. I don't really care about football. I just want to be mindful of the people that are struggling with mental health. That would be weird. It's not rude to be upbeat. Church would be weird without that. Number three, clearly state what you can and can't do. So, and be clear with yourself what you can and can't do. Please do not start offering out prayer when you're not available to offer out prayer. You know, so, look, God forgive me. I've done this as well. I'm praying for you. Meanwhile, you know that was the prayer. That was the extent of the prayer. You saying, I pray for, I'm praying for you. If you're not available to pray, that is fine. Speak to someone within the prayer team who's available to pray. Send in a prayer right now. Send in a prayer to the equipper's email and we will pray for, or guide someone there. But do not offer up yourself a prayer if you're not available to pray. Also, ask permission as well. We're asking for prayer and deliverance, not whiplash. So don't lay hands and go, ah, like it's not necessary. It's, ask for permission. Clearly say what you can and can't do and then ask permission as you go about that. Also, invite people to contribute to your life. Ask them round for dinner. Ask them to help you clear your garage. Ask them to help you move. By the way, I is moving soon. I might need your help. Ask them to move. Because what that does is it validates those people as they are. It makes them feel like they belong, even in their current state of low mood. You don't require them to change who they are to be part of your life. You don't require them to be happy to be part of your life. You just require them to be them. You validate them and their experience. You value them as a, a person, just as Jesus does. Jesus takes me at my peaks and my troughs. And you need to do the same. See, it's not about building a bridge between where you are and where people with suffering from depression and mental health are. It's not about building that bridge. It's about closing the gap. Closing the gap is what is essential. I know there's that image of like, there's uh, two cliff faces and one says you and one says God, then it's amazing because it has the cross in the middle. It's like, oh Jesus, is the crucifix is the, is the bridge between us and God. No, actually that's not really the point of Jesus. And that wasn't really the point of the cross. The point of the cross was for us to realize that Jesus is able to live with us. Jesus is getting closer to us constantly to a point that Jesus lives within, within us. That realization is what is important. Jesus wasn't here to form a bridge between us and God. Jesus was here so we could realize he lives within us and was within us from when we were knit within our mother's womb. Romans 8 38 to 39 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing can separate us from God. We don't need a bridge. We just need to realize that he's always living within us. And for us to exist better as a church, we're not trying to establish bridges between us, but we're trying to establish that we are on one interconnected body working together for his glory.
Now, a few scriptures I want to throw out here. Uh, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I love that. There's another one, Isaiah 26, verse 3, that says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's, one, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. And then Philippians 4.6 says, um, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And I'm sure if you've had someone suffering from sadness or depression or poor mental health, you might have even used one of these scriptures. But it's, at times it's difficult to believe it. It's really, really difficult to process, especially when you don't see change immediately. And what scriptures are, are a tool. And they're a tool to help people get to the place where they need to be. But they're not the only tool in this battle. They're part of the tool for the spiritual fight but not necessarily the medical fight. And using them in conjunction is what's important. Research suggests that a, con um, a combination of uh, treatments for someone with mental health is what is most effective in treating ne negative and poor mental health. I remember um, when I first started coming to Kesed uh, 10 years ago, there we, we had these cards and it said, come as you are. And I thought this is amazing for everyone to remember, because it reminds us that the price is already paid for us to come and experience God. And there's this amazing, I remember um, Pastor Barry used to say that, you know what, Christianity is this amazing club that's free for everyone to join. And what I realized as well is that, you know what, depression also acts as a club. It's free, anyone can join. The only annoying thing about the nature of this club is that it convinces you that you are the only member. You see, the natural enemy of depression is community and where better a place to find community than within church the enemy of negative mental health is community so when we encourage you to come to church and when we encourage you to serve as pastor Barry was doing last week it's not about the fact that we need you to keep the place running guess what if you don't come this Sunday we'll still be running next Sunday if you don't serve on a team guess what that team will still be serving the benefit is for you. The benefit is for your mental health because it helps build and establish community and that is what flies in the face of poor mental health. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered, I am in the midst. That's what, that Jesus is in the midst. So when we gather, Jesus is going to be there. A hundred percent, he is going to be there. So get yourself there as well, just to experience him. And even if you feel like you can't, that sense of community will remind you that the body of Christ is there. And you'll be able to physically see the body of Christ active in front of you. Even if you can't feel it, you'll see it. You'll see it in the host team. You'll see it in the children's workers. You'll see it in the worship team. You might see it in Pastor Barry. No, I'm kidding. You'll definitely see it in Pastor Barry. You'll see Jesus and the body of Christ working everywhere. And it'll be so impossible to ignore. So get there. He will draw near to those who draw near to him. Establish a connection with God. Get closer. Pray. I remember I heard at uni, um, seven days without prayer makes one week. And instead of like one week in terms of W-E-E-K, it was W-E-A-K. Seven days without prayer makes one week. And that's so true. Prayer and scriptures are the tools to help fight the spiritual battle of negative mental health. 
And medication and therapy are tools to help fight the physical battle. They're both tools, but they're not weapons to be used against one another. So this is not to say that if you use medication and therapy, what's the point of prayer and counselling? And that's not to say if you use prayer, what's the point of medication? They're meant to work together. Use them to occupy yourself with his presence. Isaiah 26 verse 3, that will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. You will get there. You don't have to be perfect yet. Just come. Come as you are. Just come. I remember Jermaine said to me um, again at university, Jermaine um, has been a friend of mine for a long time. I remember he was telling me once that, why do people always say, I need to get to a certain place before I come to church? If you were ill, you wouldn't go, you know what? Before I go to the doctor, I'm just going to make sure I'm a little bit better. No, you want to go to the doctor at peak illness to make sure that the doctor is able to help you out. You won't wait until you're better before you go to church. So make sure that um, you won't wait till you're ill before you um, went to the doctor. So why wait till you're in a better spiritual place before you come to church? Come to church to help you get to that better spiritual place. Come as you are. You are loved. You have nothing to prove. Your salvation was freely given to you and we want you here. Are we always going to get it right? No. We're not. But what we are as a church is a committed body of people for your well-being. And we grow. And we grow together. So, release all your worry and communicate with the king. Do nothing. Do, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I love that. Don't worry about anything. Instead, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to having us all back together. And some of you might not be for a variety of reasons, but I still want you to come as you are. Jesus will meet you at the point of your need. Come as you are. Mental fatigue and depression is a battle fought. It's not a battle meant to be fought alone. The whole body of Christ needs to overcome it. And I can't wait to see you here. Whether you're apprehensive or need prayer, tell us. I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus and the gift of the body of Christ and the gift of our faith and salvation which you freely gave to us. Lord, I want to pray for everyone suffering from negative mental health, poor mental health, depression, that you're able to be a comforter and come beside them right now and guide them to the right people that will allow them to make progress. Give them the strength to seek help. Give them the wisdom to know that they can't do this on their own and they need to seek help. Lord, I also want to pray for our church as a body that you continually allow us to grow and get better at dealing with issues within our church. That we know the right things to say, we know when to speak, we know when not to speak. That we know that we're able to be present because you live within us and the battle is not for us to fight, 
but for us to be Jesus in those situations. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are the one fighting our battles spiritually. And we also thank you for the advances in medication and therapy that allow us to be in a world where we're able to treat depression more easily. So, Lord, I want to pray for you to come upon us now as we watch this and give us the guidance that we need in order to overcome. Now, maybe you're watching this and going, yeah, I, I suffer from poor mental health or yeah, I suffer from depression, but I don't believe in this God stuff. At the end of the day, if I'm going to get help, I'm just going to go to the doctor. Yep. And I really hope if you need help, if you get anything from this, please go to the doctor. But what I'm offering here is not just help from negative mental health. It's a fullness of life that can only be experienced in Christ Jesus. And if you're willing, I want you to take a moment whilst you're at home or wherever you're watching this on the train or on a commute, wherever you're watching this, to just take a moment to pause and to reflect on what's going on through your mind right now and allow Jesus to come in. So take a moment to pray with me and you can just repeat these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And I invite him in to my heart right now. Lord, where I'm broken, Lord, heal me. Where I feel lost, Lord, find me. Lord, where I feel weak, let your strength be made perfect. I offer myself unto you that I may be able to experience the fullness of life that you promised. In Jesus' name I pray.